Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Okay, everybody, welcome to tonight's amazing Shear. We are here tonight, the night before Shoshana. Uh, tonight is Shear number 72 from the Let's Get Real program with Coach Menachem Berenfeld. Thank you for coming. I know uh, most people are probably watching this while they're making the gefilte fish and getting ready with, the, with, the, with, the, with all the preparations, but we really thank everybody coming. We, we know it's a hard night, and uh, we really want to get the chizik before going into Shoshana tomorrow, and we're zoichet to have Rabbi Ibn Tversky here from with us. So let's get started. Again, I want to start off with thanking everybody who comes on every week. Uh, and posting it on their statuses, emailing their friends, telling people that every Sunday night we have a share here. It's amazing speakers, Rabbanim, therapists. So please continue spreading the word and giving people the chizik to come on and helping so many, so many people. For those that are watching the, the, the video on YouTube, please click on the subscribe button. Also click on the like button for Coach Menachem. And every Sunday when the video gets, every Monday when the video gets uploaded, you can see the new videos every week. I want to first start off with our advertising sponsor, the Lakewood Scoop, who always promotes here, us here in Lakewood, our home base. Special thank you to Rabbi and Yanit from Chazak. Thank you for them. They always help us uh, getting speakers. And a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Sommer from the JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the digital Jewish platforms. Again, for anybody who's here for the first time, every Sunday night, we do the shir at this time at 10 o'clock. And we're going to have a Mitzvah Mashir next Sunday, um, September 12th. It's going to be the Sunday before Yom Kippur, before we go on our extended vacation till after Sukkot. And you know who's speaking next Sunday? We don't know. We don't know either know yet. So we'll let you know as soon as we confirm um, who's speaking. But it's going to be an amazing program, and as usual, it's going to be deep and meaningful. And we're looking forward for everybody uh, to come again. And let's start off with opening with our, our host, Coach Menachem. Open it up. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome everyone to another show tonight. It is literally twenty-four uh, less than twenty-four hours before Shoshana. We have this host to have with us, Rabbi Benzian Tversky. Last time when he came on, the feedback was um, overwhelming, the positive overwhelming um, feedback with um, understanding Yiddishkeit and mitzvahs, the chlal. And I think before Shoshana, a lot, uh, a lot of people get into that mode of uh, trying to figure things out, trying to understand, trying to connect. And um, it's it's uh, a big schos to have him here tonight. I think many people would have to, um, in a way, start fresh, as if they've never felt or seen Rosh Hashanah. Because what happens is we come in with a preconceived notion, all of the ideas that we have all the years, and then so some people uh, feel a little bit lost. There are many people who don't really have much questions. Basically, whatever they did the past few years, they will do this year also. And I believe those people are probably not here tonight. But a lot of people, when, when you tell them today is the day, Rosh Hashanah, and in a way, it's back and forth. In a way, you are scared. What are we supposed to do? And then, you know, you should be thankful for the year that you had until now, which I think it's a time that we need to make we're all here sitting here and hopefully healthy. And yes, there was a lot of things going on the past year, but there were a lot of negativity, but there were positives also. And now when we're going into the new year, how, 
what should we do different? Am I doing the right thing? And then people start feeling guilty. The thoughts come up and uh, it, the, they can get a little bit lost. The Yitzhahara can have a big koyach and pe put pre people in anxiety and basically can't do, they can't do much anyways because they are so anxious. But there's one thing that I believe everybody agrees that what our avoida is to find one area where whatever it is, everybody knows where they should um, try to get a little bit better and take something very, very small. That's what they all say. Because what we really, what we want is we want to become a tzaddik today and change everything today and see the results now. And that's why many people um, after a while give up because it's not happening now. Not, it's not changing, not changing everything today. You have to do things slowly and a little bit at a time so that it sticks. And it's just like in Chinuch, they say, you, you know, it's your child, let him grow up. It has to grow. And just like a plant, you're planting a tree. There's no way you can plant that seed and say, I want to see the tree now. It doesn't work. So the same thing, everybody is masking. And, and, and that's really the question, where and how. So it, it a hopefully tonight we'll be able to get out a little bit of a more of an idea to help no matter what level you are, if you're a Bachar Yeshiva, a young girl, or Shidduchim, um, uh, right after marriage, or maybe 50 years old, 60, everybody needs to, everybody's looking, everybody wants, everybody in their area to find that small thing where they can connect and feel that they're growing and they should be able to tell themselves that they're growing. Because if in your mind you don't see, you don't feel, then it doesn't last too long. So thank you, Rabbi Tversky, for being with us tonight. And Amit Hashem, hopefully we'll have the inspiration, everybody where they need it to grow and to get it, come into the Rosh Hashanah with a new perspective, Amit Hashem. such a beautiful opening. Okay, let's get into tonight's cheer. Um, okay, tonight's cheer, uh, I just want to mention that Menachem started writing the first series of the book, Rabbi Tversky, you're in the first book, don't worry, we're going to send you the, the manuscript first. But uh, I started writing the first books, the first 40 shiurim of Coach Menachem. And um, a lot of people donated chapters. We really appreciate that. We're trying to put it together. Hopefully, it'll be put together in about six months. Anybody else who wants to donate a chapter or any part of it, it's every shear. It's a small synopsis, a little the opening and some of the questions. And we're doing the first 40. Tonight's shear number 72. So uh, we're, we're ready up to book two. So uh, it should be amazing. Please reach out to Coach Menachem at gmail.com for any details, any information. Now, let's get into tonight's share. Tonight's share, it's going to be, again, something special. It's Erev Shoshana. here. As, as we say, if somebody comes back a second time, right? It's usually a good sign. It's Rabbi Tversky. Obviously, we love you. We want you to come back. Thank you for coming again. Before, we, before we're going to start, we're going to do tonight's share, Zeichen Nishmas, the Bacher. Um, I, I, I'm, I saw on the, somebody's status a, a video of him and a family member is friends of mine. And I, I just saw the video. It brought me to tears. Just thinking about all the things that happened this year. So I wanted to dedicate this year of Shmuel, uh, the Bacher Shmuel ben Mordechai, Nachum Silverberg, who was obviously tragi tragi tragically killed in Yeshiva a little mamish over two weeks ago, not such a long time ago. And he was an amazing boy. And um, the story is like still, you know, shocking Gans Yisrael. And I think Naira Roshana with such a big share has met hundreds of people here and the thousands of thousands of people that are going to hear it and be mechuzik from it. Let's let it be Il Nishmas during the Shloshim for, for him. We have the Mishpachi on here tonight. So first, we're going to ask uh, an antiphist to speak for literally a minute or two, and then we're going to play a video, 
and then we'll go back to Robert Tversky. So can um, the ant, are you on? Yes, I am right here. Floor is yours. The video that, thank you. The video that everyone is about to see gives you a very small glimpse into my nephew, Shmuley Silverberg, and the tremendous carbon that we had to give this year, Arab Rosh Hashanah. The video that you're about to see takes place on Purim in Denver Yeshiva. A few years ago, Shmuley was inspired by his uncle Eli Grossman, who told him that Purim can be a time of great aliyah, and it doesn't only have to be being high on wine, it could be high on Tyra. And Shmuley was, was always someone who jumped on board whenever he heard of something nice to do, to grow, and to become a better person. And he loved the idea, and he went with it. And every year since then, he would make on Purim, when everyone around him was high, he would get up and he would make a siyam in yeshiva on the Sechtas Megillah. The most amazing part is when he finished, he would always make sure his mother and father were on the phone and he would thank them. Thank you, mommy. Thank you for always davening for me because it's because of you that I'm able to be what I am today. Right now, Denver Yeshiva is running a charity to continue being Mechazik the family and to be Mechazik the Yeshiva charity.com slash Shmuli, S-H-M-U-L-I. And they're using the money to acquire a new Aran Kaidesh, a new set of Nevi'im, Al-Klaf, with a full Aitzer Hasfarm in the Denver Yeshiva. Everyone should help out. Be majorly mechuzik, the Elam in Denver, who's so shattered, and the family. Um, and the Mertzashem is Neshama should have a great aliyah from this. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Wow, beautiful. Thank you so much. We're going to send the link out after the shir on the Menachem's email for anybody who Thank wants to look you. at that. And now we're going to play the video. And then we'll, Robert Twist, we'll go to you. Let's play the video. I'm going to read your bio, and then the floor is yours. Rabbi Tzian Tversky represents a third generation of rabbinic leadership at Congregation Beth Yehuda. He strives to take classic Hasidic texts and teach them in a manner that makes them relevant to all who strive to connect with his teaching. Rabbi Tversky's sensibly and probing intellect has allowed him to develop close relationships with his congregation, including my wife and her family, and is heavily sought out speaker throughout the country. Rabbi Tversky has over 600 plus year mentor anytime. And Rabbi Vitsian Tversky, Agresha Shkar Crystal, being uh, masked to come on the night before Shoshana. I'm sure you have a lot to do in your community. And I just want to say thank you. And the floor is yours. 
Okay, thank you so much for having us. I think that one of the one of the challenges <clears throat> that we face generally in the Yantav season is that we're accustomed to doing all the things that we're supposed to do, saying all the things that we're supposed to say. But as anybody who's ever taken a trip knows that as beautiful as the scenery and the sights may be a long, a long way, along the way, if you don't have a destination, you're never going to get there. Um, for those of us who use uh, GPS these days to get around, uh, once upon a time, there used to be something called the trip tech. I doubt they even make them anymore. AAA used to uh, prepare it for you and you'd have a page after page of how it is that you're supposed to get there and what you could see along the way. And I think that one of the things that happens to us, certainly during the this Yontif season, is that, albeit that we do everything, but we don't necessarily have a destination. There's not a point that we're trying to reach ultimately in the entire season. So that begs the question, okay, if, if that's the case, what is the destination? We have, obviously, there's, there's Yom Adin and Yom HaMlachas HaKadosh Baruch and then there's a day of Slich and Kapara, and then we go from there into Sukkot, and the Dal Minim, and Eshana Rabba, and Shemini Yatzeres, and Zimbabwe. But what's, where are we going? What's, what's the ultimate destination? They tell Amaisa that I think really sheds light on that question and hopefully will really address um, many of the questions of the, uh, that, that are going to come in tonight. The Mittal Rebbe, second Lubavitcher Rebbe, our ancestor of ours, Dave Bear, had a chassid, was considered by many to be an incredibly inspiring figure, a uh, genius in entire great Makobal. His name was Reb Hillel of Parich, the set of Svarim that he authored. It was a difficult, difficult chassidus. Um, Reb Hillel once, Erev Yom Kippur, was coming into the Vismedr Shaddam Shachris, and there was a woman sitting outside collecting. And she was stopping all the people as they were going into Shul. And she said to Rabil that she rents a property for her family. She hasn't been able to pay the rent. And the result of that was that it's now been several months and she was warned that unless she comes up with the money within the next week that she's going to be evicted from her home. And she began to weep bitterly. Clearly, she saw that Jabila was an exalted figure and, and uh, that he might be able to help her. So he said to her, wait out here. I'm going to go um, and collect for you in, in the Bismarck. And rather than going to, uh, to Davin, he began going around and collecting. And after making all of the rounds in the Bismarck, he didn't even have a tenth. She needed a, what it was several hundred rubles. And what he gathered were kopikas. It was like pennies and dimes and nickels and quarters. People tried being generous due to Rebillah's stature. But it was a, an Uramavelt. It was a poor world. And when he came out with the amount of money that he had collected, she realized that she was going to be evicted. And she began to weep once again. Rebillah said to look, Servium Kipper, I'm going to do whatever I can do. 
and he began wandering in town until he came upon the tavern, the local shank. Went into the tavern, and it was known that there were a group of estranged Jews who would frequent this shank, this tavern. And Rebillo, with his flowing white beard and his imposing figure, enters the bar. And a hush falls over the entire crowd. Generally, it was, it was obviously a place that was full of smoke and lots of drinking and the clanking of, of glasses. But when a figure like Rebillo walked in, so the silence enveloped the entire room. And the Jewish group that was in the corner called out to him um, with some mockery, saying to him, uh, Ravid, what brings you here on, on Erevim Kippur? So Rebbe understood that that was his destination. He walks over to the table, takes a seat with these shikurim, and they said to him, how can we help you? And he tells them, Tells them the story. He says, there's a, there's a woman, she's all alone with a group of children, a bunch of kids, and she's going to be evicted. And we need to help her. So these Eden look him up and down and they see that he's sincere. And one of them says to him, look, Rabbi, we'll make you a deal. One of them says to him, if you drink, it was a, a you know what one of those beer glasses is, but there wasn't a beer. They put into nine and nine cigar, which was uh, 99% alcohol. One of them said to him, if you drink a, a cup full of this vodka, I'll give you a quarter of the entire sum that you need. So Bill said, it's a deal. And he takes this cup of spirits and closes his eyes, says a bracha, Erevim Kippur, and downs this huge amount of this powerful liquor. The other one, and the guy next door to him didn't want to be uh, shown up by his friends. He says to the side to this guy, I'll I'll you know I'll I'll match his deal. They bring another cup of this this liquid, this uh impossibly strong alcohol, and Rib Hill drinks a second cup. And the scene repeats itself until he had the entire sum that he needed, but he obviously his head was, was swimming. He couldn't, he couldn't focus any longer. They couldn't believe that he was still standing upright, but the people had a, a very strong mind. And Shikira hate, he runs to this Almana, gives her the money. And by now, the island was gathering a Bismedish for Kol Nidre. And Reb Hillel is as shikr as shikr could be. He runs into the Bismarck. Everybody's dressed in white, draped in their talesim. The matziv is, is umgezeug. We all know what the feeling is of, of, of people walking into Kol Nidre. And Reb Hillel runs up to the Uren Kaidish. And the Tzemach Tzedek, this was after the Mittler Rebbe's passing, the Tzemach Tzedek was now Rebbe. And he runs up the front and everybody becomes quiet. The scene of, of Rib Hill, you could see that his eyes were bloodshot. And he runs up, he opens the Aron Kodesh, turns around to the Oilam, and he screams, with the Sibchas And you could hear a pin drop in his And he falls to the floor with a thud. 
Mitzvah Tzedek Yatzah. It says, Rabbi Yisai, all of the Aveda that we do, beginning with Slichas, the week before Rosh Hashanah and the Slichas of Erev Rosh Hashanah and the Aved of Tkiya Shoifer and all the, the Sudas of Yantav and all the Tfilas and Nisana Toikov and everything. And then we go through Asir's Yimei Tshuva with Tashlich and Kaporis and, and Kol Nidre and Ni'ilo and, and the Yantav of Sukkot and the Dalminim and the Nanuim and all of the Avedah of Chodesh Tishrei is all to bring us to the moment of Atares Eladas of Shmini Atzeres and Simchus That's what the entire goal of all of those things is so that Ayid can proclaim on Simchus Torah with clarity. You have shown us so that we can know that's the destination. For all of us, it takes all of those steps to help us arrive at that moment. Through his avoid and through this Maisa Tzedakah that he did, was able to attain that already on the night of Kol Nidre. The rest of us are going to have to go through the rest of the process. When I heard this story, to me, it clarified what the destination is. What, what is it that we're trying to accomplish with all of these steps? And now, with that in mind, we can begin to approach having some understanding of how each one of these components that we're beginning in Mitzvah tomorrow, we should have begun already with Slichas, but how all of those things fit in to our ultimate destination of where it is that we're heading through all of the mitzvahs and through all of the tefillahs and all the avodah of these yomim agdoshim, these holy days that we're approaching, is all to bring us to the point of now I can offer some ideas but I think what's going to be far more effective is going to be for everybody personally to now in light of that try to surmise and to figure out how each one of the components of what it is that we're doing fits into that map and ultimately that will lead us to that destination I hand you back the floor Oshi Thank you, Rabbi. Okay, let's do a little poll, here, Rabbi, and then we'll break, and then we'll jump into questions again. We're excited we're to have Rabbi, Rabbi Tversky here tonight with us, so please, I'm sure he's, he's has been asked harder questions, so feel free to ask anything you want to ask. Text me, Ashraparnas over here, and we'll put you on. Obviously, live questions go first, and uh, let's take a little poll from the Oilam, and then we'll take it from there. Okay, two questions over here. It's anonymous, so you can answer whatever you want. Nobody knows who's saying well. First question is, what are you feeling on what are you feeling towards on Rosh Hashanah tomorrow? Are you happy and ready to connect to Hashem? Are you scared and fearful? I haven't thought about it much. Those are the three options. Second question, how do you plan on making this Rosh Hashanah more meaningful? A, extra concentration on davening. B, taking upon myself a Kabbalah. C, thinking about all the events of the past year. And let's move the screen here and realizing Hashem is in total control, or option D, more self-introspection? Okay, those are the two questions. Please answer them, and then we'll jump into questions. we got a bunch of questions emailed in. We'll get to that. And anybody who wants a question, please text me. A.B. Eisenbach, feel free to ask. I know that you know you live far away from Rabbi, so you know if you want to speak to him, this is a good way to speak to him. 
Okay, five, four. Very interesting. Okay, let's share it with everybody. Okay, what are your feelings on Rosh Hashanah tomorrow? 58% of people here feel t- tomorrow they're happy and they're ready to connect to Hashem. Rabbi we're good to go, right? Wow. 28% are scared and fearful, and 13% of people they haven't thought about a munch. Our oilum is a very weird oilum, so I knew that that's going to be the answer. Number two, how do you plan on making this Rosh Hashanah more meaningful? 20% of people said extra concentration on davening. 10% said they're taking upon themselves a Kabbalah. The winning answer, 49%, thinking about all the events of the past year and realizing that Hashem is in total control. It's obviously something we have to talk about. And 21% of the people feel they're going to put more self-introspection. Okay. So let's start with some questions. Anybody who has the screen, you can X out of it now. And um, we'll start with some of the questions that were sent in. And anybody that has anything... Let's let's hop around. Less than 24 hours for Shoshana. Robert Twersky, what could I do this year that will be different, different and the stuff that I'm going to take on? What can I do this year will be different and the stuff I'm, I say I'm going to take on to make it actually stick? So... <clears throat> conversation actually that we had here in in the kihila again these are just ideas personal ideas will probably be much more effective i I would split it into two parts and i think that one of these components really speaks to the heart of rosh hashanah befrat um i'll tell you a story Best way to answer any question is always with a good story. The Bear Maim Chaim actually quotes the story. He says that Ibsadi Goin was once invited to a kihila to speak. And it took a journey for him to get to wherever he was going. And evidently, he didn't travel with uh, Gaboim. And when he came to the town, he checked into the local uh, Holiday Inn. And the um, purveyor, the uh, owner of the inn, looked at him, and evidently he was—he uh, he didn't have an imposing uh, way that he, he carried himself, and he thought that he was just uh, another archipark, another another traveler. So when Rabbi Goyen asked him for a uh, for a room, he took the key to the corner room and kind of threw it at this guy, like you know, go take, go take, go take the average or the, one of the lesser rooms. The next day, they announced that Tzadik Goyen was going to speak in shul at a certain time, and all the uh, storekeepers closed their stores, the businesses closed, the yeshivas closed. Everybody came to hear Tzadik Goyen, including the innkeeper. And when he saw Tzadik Goyen ascend the steps to the bima, and he saw that this person who he treated so averagely was the great, renowned Tzadik Goyen, he couldn't believe what he had done and he ran up and fell at Rabsadi Goyen's feet and began to weep. Please be Michael, Mr. Rabsadi Goyen said, for what? So he said, had I only known yesterday what I know today, I never would have treated you that way. Rabsadi Goyen began to weep. And he said, each of us say the same thing. If only we knew about you what we know, 
today, I never would have treated you that way. I think that one of the, one of the um, challenges and at the same time, as with all challenges, one of the opportunities that we have in Rosh Hashanah and to be consistent with the theme of the davening, we're really trying to get to know who it is that we're serving, who it is that, that is making these demands of us, who it is that is the mitzvah, who is, who is the one who's commanding us. I just saw that the Rambam, when he got up to blow Shreifah and Rosh Hashanah, says that his knees were knocking together and trembling. And the point was, that he wrote this in his, in his letters, in his chuvas, he said, I began thinking about who is the mitzvah, who is the one that's commanding us to do this mitzvah, and who is the one that's carrying out the mitzvah. When, if we want something to be different, there's only going to be two ways to change it, maybe three ways. The first one is, who is it that we're serving? If we're going into Yomim Neroim and Yontif with the same God that we did last year, it's unlikely that anything's going to change. If we can really utilize the Tzvilas of Rosh Hashanah and the contemplation that the, the people answered in your, in your poll and really ponder and, and spend the time realizing, and, and if I may be so bold, Maybe that's what one of the messages that the Rebbe Shalom was sharing with us over this past year. He's really showing off. I don't know if you've seen any pictures of this tornado that, that hit New Jersey this, this past week. Um, look at the, the forest fires in California. Look at the flooding that's taken place over the year. Just the simple, I'm talking about, forget about the tragedies. I'm just talking about the sheer power of the Bayer Elam. And that's just in a physical, in a physical sense. I meant to realize the control that he has over every single moment. Um, my sister, Rebbitson Singer in Borough Park, shared with me before. Just the, the hashgacha, the power of hashgacha. Her, she has a son, Soyanko. He was davening Hashem Shabbos. He designates his left pocket as where he keeps his money that he gives to tzedakah. So a few weeks ago, he reached into his pocket when the shamas in, in uh, the famous shamas there in Shemesh Shabbos came around collecting with his can. And so Yaakov reached into his pocket. He had nothing there but one of these clicks candy bars that he had for one of his kids. So he didn't have any money, so he took the clicks candy bar and put it into this bowl instead of bimkim money. Anyway, this guy was was very eager. He took the you know took the candy bar and put it in his pocket. He came back last week. So the shaman said to him, he says, you're not going to believe what happened. He says, last night, the middle of Myriv, a guy chalished, it was a diabetic. And everybody began, began screaming, does anybody have any sugar? He says, I was prepared and ready. I had the candy bar that you gave me the other week. He says, you saved somebody's life by giving that candy bar to Tznoka. The orchestrator, and, and, and all of us have stories like this, by the way. Somebody just asked me last week, how come you have all these stories? I said, I can guarantee you these stories happen to everybody. It's just a question of, are we attentive? Are we paying attention? So one way to make this year different is by not having the same rabbinic that we had last year. I don't mean in, in dramatic terms, obviously, 
we have the same rebbeinu that our that that we've been serving and that our our ancestors before us have been serving. But it can't be the same bashefer. We have to be able to say that Gersadi Goyen said, "If I knew, if only I knew to uh, yesterday what I know today, I wouldn't have served you the same way." But the semizdav zainandish it can't be the same rebbeinu This year it's the rebbeinu that showed off. His, his incredible power over the universe and over Kalei Yisrael Befrat, both L'toyv and L'motiv, and we got to accept the fact that he's trying to get our attention. That's one thing. But I think that the second way is we have to be able to appreciate the gift. Um, anybody who tries keeping up with the numbers of Sifri Kaidish, books printed by by Art Scroll and Feldheim and all the other publishers that allow us to gain deeper insight. I've been talking about real high quality. That's in addition to all the Svarm and Lashen Kodesh that it's impossible to keep up with. Add to that programs like Coach Menachem and, and so many of the other programs that are available to Klal Yisrael to any time. And, and what was the other one you told me about, Doshi, today? Um, Shas Illuminated. Shas Illuminated. There's a belt of things that can change our approach to any given mitzvah, to any given tefillah, to any paragraph in Shemineser, to any paragraph in Pesukah de Zimra. There's a belt of stuff available to us if only we want to deepen our relationship, not just to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but deepen our relationship to any given mitzvah. So why should Tkiyashoy for this year be the same as it was last year? We should be armed with somebody, um, um, Rabbi Zon from New York was here, from, from Baltimore. And he shared with me the divertor that Rav Olshin is, um, right? That's Rav Olshin? One of the Shishivas of Lakewood. Printed these massive svarim on each one of the Yom Tov, and now they're translated weekly into English. You get them by email. There is a, they're rich in, in insight, and in, he quotes from, from everybody in the world. There's, there's such a, a welt available to us. It, it requires discipline that we have to take the time out to deepen our relationship, not just to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but to each mitzvah individually, that it should speak differently to us. And there's infinite insights, because the Rebbeinu Shalom is infinite. And therefore, it has to be that his mitzvahs are infinite as well. So, if we want something to be different this year, the only way to make it different is going to be by approaching it differently. We have to change our relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we have to change our relationship to the mitzvahs that we're performing. Okay, Rabbi Tversky, let's take a few live questions. Um, you're on. Thank you very much for the weekly lectures. Very much appreciate them. Uh, the question is, when am I allowed to pray for individual people during Rosh Hashanah? Okay. That's a great question. So let me, let me introduce that by first destroying the question. Um, there's a famous Zoyer that's quoted by all the Svarim, that condemns people who are misspelled for individual or at least personal needs. The language of the Zoya there is that Klal Yisrael comes to Yom Neroyim like a bunch of dogs screaming, have, have, give me, give me. So why would Chazal, the Dibrechaim, ask us, as many others do? So why did they establish Tfilis 
that request personal requests. If they didn't want us asking for personal things, then it should have all been about Hakadosh Baruch Hu and his hamlocha. So the answer goes to really to the heart of what it is that we're looking for in the tefillah. Meaning as follows: Let's take the answer. The simple answer to 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 the question you asked is. In the additional paragraphs that are added, remember us for life, at the conclusion of Shemines, you have a very detailed tefillah that we add to all the all of the um, amidos of the season. Um, we ask for all those things specifically in the bracha of Sim Sholem, which is add onto itself because it's really not a bracha of bakosha at all. But the critical words are going to be We're not asking for ourselves, we're asking for your sake. Today, just again, watching what happens, I pulled into a gas station on my way back from Chicago. And Mama's looking in, uh, out in the boondocks and somewhere in between here in Chicago. And I'm filling up with gas and a guy, I see a guy heading straight towards me. And he says to me, are you Jewish? So I said, yes. So he said, I got to tell you, I'm from Morocco. And I love the Jewish people. There were people who tried saying things about them. He says, I know the Jewish people. They are wonderful people. And I'll prove it to you. He's speaking with a, a hexident. And he says, um, of all of the people I interacted with, I never saw a homeless Jew. And I never saw a Jew panhandling on the street for food. You guys know how to take care of each other. And I knew Bishas Maisa that this was a communication from above. It needs to be in Laman Chalikim Chaim. The Rabbanish gives us the things that we need and the challenges that are required so that we will turn to him for the things we need. But each one of those statements and, and appeals concludes with the words. For your sake, Rebbe if Klal Yisrael will, will be, uh, will care for each other and will see to it that we take care of each other's needs and that the Rebbe will, will be mashpia upon us, a shefa, a bounty of, of good health and of, of wealth and of naches and of long life, then Hashem, the Kiddushem Shemayim that could come out of that Rebbe is extraordinary. I just want to share with you an interesting thing. I came here uh, tonight, on my way here, I stopped at a Pidina Ben. Pidina Ben was a fellow in his 60s who, through the uh, work of one of our Kalyan Galait, realized that the likelihood, he wasn't 100% certain, but the likelihood is that he never had a Pidina Ben, and he was a firstborn son. So before we began this, the process of the Pidina Ben, I said to him that Hashem refers to Klai Yisrael as B'ni B'chayr Yisrael. We are Hashem's firstborn. And there's some people who do a Pidina Ben right away when the baby's born, 30 days. Do it Be'ita. Then there's some Pidya. There are some redemptions that are taken a long time. And when somebody late in life realizes that they do not have a Pidina Ben yet, then we have the opportunity to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say to the Rebbe Nishalayim, Rebbe Nishalayim, there's some redemptions that take a long time, but we're here. 
We're performing the Pidina Ben, and we're asking you, Rabbi Nishalayim, to finally perform your Pidina Ben and to redeem us um, at this late stage as well, so that we can go and, and serve the Rabbi Nishalayim the way he requests and demands of us. Did I, did I answer the question? Yes, very well. Excellent. Hey, you ready for the next question? Go for it. Hey, okay, you're on live. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we could. Amazing. Thanks so much for taking your question. Um, I, I went through a really sudden and painful divorce recently. I know that I myself have what to work on. Then my question is coming, you know, starting fresh. I want to be emotionally healthy and comfortable with myself, close to Hashem. And I'm really looking to move on, but I, I'm seeing that I'm desperate to get there already. How do I actually slow down and like accept the, you know, during stage? Well, so well, let's begin with a, a, a much earlier step. And I think this will go to the heart of what um, Menachem opened up with earlier. Which were the the suffering of Klaiso. Clearly, the the pain that you've endured is personal and very clearly raw and real. Um, but I think we'd all be foolish if we allowed these opportunities to pass without pondering why does Hashem bring suffering and pain into the world. What's, what's the purpose? So to get a, 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 any understanding into that, obviously we need to look into, um, this isn't going to come as a shock to anybody, but pain and suffering is not a new phenomena and certainly not to call Yisrael. The Ran in his drushes offers one explanation. Obviously, there are many explanations, but if we're going to approach Rosh Hashanah as, you know, I don't know if there's ever been a time, certainly not in my life, where Unasana Taikif comes to full, you know, if, if we'd be able to put up a, uh, a screen and put up pictures of what took place this past year, comes to vivid life. I mean, just incredible live pictures. The Ran says, and I, I shared this with a young man this past Friday here in the community, with the Revenge of with the Rafur Shalema, but their daughter uh, was taken into the hospital with what they suspected was some kind of severe neurological something was going on. And they had no idea what it was. The fright was so intense. None of us should ever know the feeling. And I said to him, tell me something. If during that process, someone would have come over to you and offered you a wonderful scrumptious barbecued steak would it have appealed to you now obviously i asked him this after the fact i'm not insane i didn't do this so he said of course not how could i have eaten anything nonetheless 
the Sefer Tillim was, was there. And they certainly utilized the power of tefillah at a time like that. So, says the Ran, that there are times that HaKadosh Baruch is trying to get us to get to remove our heads. As the story goes with the Kotzker, he came upon a guy who was indulging in the sukkah, but was really, really into his food. And he screamed to the schosset, he said to him, you're eating chutz the sukkah. So he said, Rabbi, I'm in the sukkah. He said, no, you're not, you're in your bowl. Um, what sometimes HaKadosh Baruch is trying to get our attention. He's trying to help us get our heads out of our bowls. And they come in many forms, the, these bowls. It's not dafka in, the, in the, the appetites are for food. We have a whole array of, of physical appetites and, and other forms of distraction. And Hashem is trying to get our attention. So the Ran says that one of the purposes of human suffering is to that that suffering lessens the intensity of our bodily tivus. That's one. That's one mahalach. The Priya Aritz offers another mahalach that I found amazingly powerful. He writes that. When a person is attempting to look and perceive something with clarity, that the way to see it in the sharpest focus is to create a, um, a filter that blocks everything else so that the person can peer with great focus and concentration upon that which he wants to see. So if you look at somebody who's doing this, they're putting a complete uh, uh, curtain, if you will, in front of their eyes. All there is is a tiny spot to look through. Remember says, and he, by the way, had the right to say this because his, the tsaras that he endured, that he and his community endured as they moved to Yisrael in the, the late 1700s. They went through, they lost a, a, a huge proportion of the people who went with them died along the way and, and the poverty and the starvation was intense. Remember said that the purpose of that darkness was to block out everything else so that they could look with clarity at what was really important. So I think that Akadosh Baruch is giving Claudius an opportunity now to take a step back Look at what we went through. Look at what we're going through. And to really allow the eye, not the physical eye, but the perception of Kalayasol to look and say, we need, Rabbi said, we need to take a step back. There's an old Yiddish song that the, the refrain is, Vus is wichtig and Vus is nicht. What's really important and what's not? And for us to recalibrate and get a good, intense look at what is really important and what it is that we need to, you know, what, what, what we should be getting excited about and what's really not worth getting um, worked up about.
what what is wichtig and what is nicht. And that's one of the things that Rahman of the Tzlan, shouldn't test us, but the Tsaris that we experience give us the opportunity to really get a, a, a get a grip on what's important and what's not. Oh, very powerful, Rabbi Tversky. Okay, there's so many live questions over here. We have all night, right? We go straight to Slichas. Okay, you're on. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Okay, hi. So I'm wondering if you can address the fire and brimstone fear that we were taught to have at this time of the year. Like, I understand that the school system instilled it in order to shake us into being serious about like the severity of this time of the year. But I know that personally, and for many people I know, um, this fear just manifests into overwhelming anxiety. It affects everyday responsibilities. And like, it, it just manifests into something almost resentful. And it, and you know, I know for a lot of people, especially myself, like I have to push myself to daven in a positive way because we're just so overwhelmed with this fear. Um, is it supposed to be this way? And, or is it supposed to be like, you know, a positive, you greet the king in the field um, time? I'm going to give you such a biased answer that it's almost not fair. Um, so I don't know if you should have somebody who can, might be able to present the other side of this issue because mine is going to be very one-sided. Um, when I was a young bocher, in fact, I was such a child prodigy that um, I was in Philly before my bar mitzvah. And Rosh Hashanah, the atmosphere in yeshiva was extraordinarily intense and totally foreign to me. It was completely, and I, I just have no words to describe. I, I, I felt like I was practicing a different religion to the degree, and I was very impressed, and I'm even more impressed now, that Shmuel came over to me, Shmuel Kamenitsky, and came over to me after Rosh Hashanah and told me that I should leave for Yom Kippur and I should never be in yeshiva again for Yom Neroi. He, he recognized that it was just, that it, there was a completely different dynamic going on. So let me, let me tell you what these, two, what these two things are. And I think we need to find our place somewhere in the middle. There's no question that as we see in the Sanatayikiv, it's the day of judgment. But to me, and I believe the Hasidic culture, the intense focus of Rosh Hashanah was the Yom Hamlocha of HaKadosh Baruch. It was all about coronating HaKadosh Baruch as Melech. Yes, it's Yom Adin. But the Yom Adin, the aspect of judgment, was completely and totally focused upon what is going to be my portion, if any, in this coronation throughout the year. So let's 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 
clarify how what, what that means practically. The, as we know, Rosh Hashanah was the day of the creation of Adam Rishon, and the Rebbein Shalom created his world in order that he be coronated as Melech for the purpose of his Avod, meaning that humanity should benefit from the Rebbein Shalom's mastery and kingdom over us. To the degree that we are coronators of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, do we have the right? Matisio Solomon has a magnificent piece that he writes about a contractor who is building a palace for the king. And he, he wins the contract to build this palace. And each day he comes to the king and requests of the king the supplies that he's going to need in order to be able to continue building. Anybody who looks at this from the outside would say, like, what is with this person? He's constantly there snoring stuff from the king. But as somebody who understands what's happening realizes he's not asking anything of himself. He has a job to do. He's building a palace for the king. We are giving in our bid on Rosh Hashanah. We're saying, Rabbi Yishlam, I want to be on the team. I want to be I want to live so that I can be the one who coronates you as king, so that I can build your palace, so that I can fulfill your will. As, as Rashi says, I want to be the one who can provide with that nachas ruach. I want to be on the team. And in order to be on that team, here's what I need. I need to be healthy. And I need long life. And I need nachas. And I need to have all the components that are required to be. I mean, imagine if, if somebody comes to work to build the palace of the king and he hasn't been able to sleep and he hasn't been able to think and he and he and he, and he, he doesn't have what to eat. What kind of what kind of evidence is he going to be? What kind of how well will he be, be able to perform his duties? So you can look at it in the terror of I might be rejected. And for some reason, people find that attractive. I can't imagine why. Or you can look at it as this incredible opportunity for us to be able to join this force that Hashem created in his world for human beings to be able to be mamlech HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the way the Baltania puts it in, he puts it in such staggering terms. He says, imagine if there was a brilliant, brilliant person and this brilliant person wants to become king, but not king over humans, but king over ants. How ridiculous is that? Now, we need to multiply this a billion times over when we're dealing with Hashem Yisbarach and Klal Yisrael, as us as humans. But the fact is that that's what Hashem said he wants. And if that's what he wants, we are privileged to be able to make that request of him. And that word has to be first and foremost in our minds that we have to feel privileged that Hashem gives us the opportunity to be mamlechim and then to do the things that he has decreed are the ways we are mamlechim. That's where we get into such, I, I have a, a soapbox that my, my chevra all know that I, I, I talk about, which is this disease called spirituality. 
because we have a world now that is into all of these touchy-feely spiritual spiritual things and all this good good feeling stuff and none of it has any requirements it's all about me it's all about my good feeling and how i'm going to feel about this and it, it it's a bunch of nonsense we're not the ones who create the mitzvahs the rabbinic tells us here is how your mom me i want you to take a citrus fruit and a palm branch and three myrtles and two um what do you call the rubbish willows and put them together and shake them in six directions why it doesn't make any difference why are there um infinite reasons for this mitzvah of course there are because the rabbinic is infinite and his his wisdom is infinite but at the bottom line of it at the, the at the source the aside is because this is how Baruch chooses for us to be mamlechim it's not subject to our feelings or which things make us feel good or which things don't make us feel good. It's, it's a bunch of nonsense. Should we feel good, we should have the most extreme simcha in the world about the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose us and chooses us with life and allows us the opportunity to be mamlachim in, in, in those ways. But to go and to choose this mitzvah works for me, this mitzvah doesn't work for me, this is meaningful to me, it makes me feel whatever it is, go take some, some aspirin and call me in the morning. It, it, it's irrelevant how it makes us feel. It, that's, it, it's completely non, it, it, it's such a non-issue to the degree where the Baltani writes, writes in a place that if, we're, if we imagine that we're feeling something, we're delusional. It's not a subject to our feelings. The feeling we could and must feel is this incredible sense of that we're on the team. Hashem chose us to be those who are mamlechim. So is that part of the liturgy of Yantif Davening, it certainly is. But I think we need to be far more focused on the miyichia. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us life, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to use it for the purpose that he's giving it to us? And the very fact that we wake up every morning is a statement on behalf of Hashem saying, I trust that you're going to do it today. I'm giving you life because I, I trust that today you are going to be me as I desire. There's no greater vote of confidence in the Simcha that, that should register more so than the fact that my neshama was restored to me this morning and hopefully will be again tomorrow. And in a big way on on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is when we apply for the contract. That's when we're, we're asking to be given the opportunity to be on the team. So I know that there are people, I mean, to such a degree, where somebody repeated to me from one of the G'daylam, that they don't understand how a person can sing a nigun on and, 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 and Rosh Hashanah Daven. And I want to ask, I don't understand how it is that we don't sing through all of 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 Yontiv Davani. It's it, it's the most exciting. I, I shared with the, my my chaver here that Ramesha the Kajnitzer writes that he never saw the Kajnitzer Magid his father so besimcha as he did when he, when he saw him in Rosh Hashanah. It's the incredible privilege that we have that Hashem is choosing us. He's giving us another year to be mamlechim. Here's, here's a question from uh, from a woman. 
I find this time of the year extremely stressful as a woman, uh, exhausting. Halakhically, what is a woman's true role during these, these weeks of Yom Deraim and uh, Yom Tovim? This really should be asked of a woman because no matter how a man answers it, it's never going to be right. Let's just be honest with them because, you know, it's easy for you to say. Somebody repeated to me yesterday that Ramatisio Solomon said that there was a king who opened up the palace and said, anybody who has any request should line up to see me. So the people of, the, of, of his melucha came and lined up in droves. And then the king spots on the line his children's babysitter. He says to her, what are you doing here? She said, what do you mean? The king offered to, you know, opened up and said that anybody who has any request, why would I miss an opportunity like that? He said, you should be with my children. You, as the keeper of my children, you can ask me for what you need anytime. It's an incredibly powerful message from Ramat Solomon. I mean, it takes guts to say something like that. And he certainly has the places to say it. Is there a chiv of unique tefillah on Rosh Hashanah? No question. It's one of the, Tekia Shafer is one of the mitzvahs that, that uh, women of Klal Yisrael have accepted upon themselves and every woman should make it her business, if at all possible, to hear Tekia Shafer. But there's no question that the roles of, going back to what I said earlier, we didn't choose this structure. Gadesh Baruch is the one who gave us the structure of what, which mitzvahs we are mechuyiv to do, which, which mitzvahs women are mechuyiv to do. And then on top of that, there are mitzvahs that are optional, that women can do, and they have a kiyama mitzvah if they do do it. But if you think about it, the very fact that a woman is able to make a bracha on Tkiyah Shafer, Asher Kiddushonu Vitzivanu. Did he really command women to do this mitzvah? Nonetheless, because women undertook this mitzvah, they have the right to say that bracha. So too with, with sukkah and lulav and so on. Um, and it, 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 to a certain degree, if you really think about that, the fact that a woman volunteers to take on that mitzvah is unique unto itself. It's, it's something where she's not necessarily mitzvah to do, she's not commanded, and nonetheless, she has the opportunity to say that bracha and take it upon herself. But primarily, there's no question that um, women need to be able to um, recognize that we're not the ones who are the mitzvah. And as much as they want to say those rabbis are the ones who you know, created the structure that we did not. They did not. The Rabbanu Shalom is the one who created the structure. And therefore, in their own place, they need to celebrate that which the Rabbanu Shalom gave them and tasked them in their part of the Malucha. And that's raising the, the uh, princes and princesses of Klal Yisrael. And, um, you know, my, my uncle Shalom is a friend of the Rocha from Denver, I was once listening to one of his tapes. So he was pointing out the absurdity of how 
our culture sets the tone. So at least at that stage, this was before COVID and, and uh, people had big snazzy offices, right? So the world um, appreciates and worships the uh, Wall Street office chair. So he said, but look at look at it in the lies in the eyes of Klal Yisrael when Klal Yisrael is true to Klal Yisrael. What was the base of Mikdash? The Kahanim fought literally to death at some times to be able to perform the Avoid in the base of Mikdash. He says, what was the base of Mikdash? It was one big kitchen. What did they do there? And they salted and they and they took the meat up and they fried uh, food and they they lit the ovens on the Mizbech. What was the difference? The difference was that due to the fact that it was the base of Mikdash, Saklal Yisrael envied the position of the Kayan who was able to do the Avaidah. But ultimately, it was one big kitchen. So, what's the tragedy that has befallen Klal Yisrael? The, the, the tragedy is is that society no longer values the kitchen. So we've created this value of the man in front of the, the shul or whatever it is you could fill in the blank for what the Hashem, it changes every year. So the, the, you know, it's no longer the, the uh, person in the um, Wall Street seat or whatever it is, but who cares what they value? We need to get back to the essence of what we discussed earlier, which is that the Hashem sets the tone. He, he decides what it is that he wants of us. And it would be no different than my being envious of the Kayan who's able to go up and, and give the bracha of, of Birchus Kahanim, or the Kayan being envious of the fact that I was able to perform in the midst of Pidna Ben and he can't. Everybody has their roles and, and we need to celebrate and feel privileged for the role that, I, that Hashem gave us. So there's no question that the Noshim Tzidkanius of Kalal Yisrael during this season wipe themselves out with the preparation of the Sudhis and try juggling the, the schedule. And, and, and forget the schedule gets even tougher because the men are in shul so long. And um, it takes that much more effort for, uh, for them to be able to do what it is that they are, that they're doing. And it's incumbent upon us men folk to make sure that the women feel that we value their incredible avayda. That's our our business, um, and we have to get much better at doing that. But it has to start with the women themselves feeling that sense of privilege for the gift that Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave them in how He wants them to serve Him. It has to start there. Beautiful, very nice. Okay, we have so many more questions. Okay, you're on. Okay, hi, Rabbi. Thanks for taking my call, I guess. Um, so as an adult, it's easy or it's easier for me personally to recognize that these challenges that Hashem give us are to make us, you know, who we are and to take us on our journeys. But as a mother of, you know, teenagers and as a principal, of middle schoolers with all of these ch challenges that they face and the you know infiltration of technology and 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 their lives just being so chaotic and and not understanding you know what it is how do how, what sort of message can we give them like our children to recognize that 
you know, this anal malvado and that it's not, this is not burdensome. This is not, you know, the, the caller before said this, this, this scary time. How, how can we make it, how can we show them the beauty in this on their level? So it's not like, oh, I got to go Davin. I got to go listen to Shofar. Like, how do we show them that? Okay. So I was in Memphis last week. And I had the opportunity to talk to their wonderful high school there. And this, this issue came up. And I was reminded at the time, I, I think I may have shan- uh, shared this with you last time we were on, Roshi. Remind me if I did, but too bad. Um, I was in Dallas, Texas a few years ago. And the rabbi asked me to meet with a fellow there who was down and out, had gone through a terrible divorce, and the kids were taken away from him, and he wasn't making pardons. It was like everything was... This guy never had the Midas touch. Everything he touched turned into a muffler. So I met with him and he unloaded his, his tzoros and then he concluded by saying that he shared with me that he was a Navy SEAL in his past uh, past existence. And he concluded the whole the whole thing with why does God hate me? So I engaged him in conversation about his training as a Navy SEAL, what it took to become a Navy SEAL. You can't imagine what these guys go through. It is mashu. Um, They have to go through desert training and incredible heat. They have to uh, be able to travel and, and get across rivers with alligators and snakes and all kinds of other um, they have to be able to traverse mountains and and just like you can't imagine what these people have to go through in order to become a certified Navy SEAL. So I said to the fellow after he, he finished telling me about this, I said, so how many times did you say to your commander and your trainer, why do you hate me? So what do you mean? I said, well, why would somebody who loves you put you through the kind of torture to go through those kinds of incredible difficult situations. He must hate you. So he said, no, that's part of the training. The only way we can really be able to know that we can make it through those kinds of circumstances is to go through that training and to be able to overcome you know, those, those situations. I was just passed a note. I need a Pirish Rashi on this note, Rebetzin. Um, You can explain it to me, maybe. Anyway, so I said to him, did it ever occur to you that that these challenges and these trials are coming from an incredibly loving parent who, you know, it, it goes back to the, the marshal that the Degelbach the, Nefraim the, brings this and, and um, the other the other Sifri um, Kodesh, the quote is the name of the Baal Shem HaKodesh on the Pasuk of Ahu Yinagenu what's the conclusion of one of the one of the uh, kapitlach that we say in the Yom 
So he says it's a muscle of a parent who's trying to teach a child how to walk. So what do we do, every one of us? You pick the kid up, and the kid takes a step. And what does a cruel parent do? We step back. Now put yourself in the mind of the kid. What are you doing? I, I, I took a step, and you're, you're moving further away from me. But that's, the, that's, that's how you teach a child how to walk. It, so it, to the child, it looks like abandonment. But in essence, it's the last thing that a parent is trying to do. We're trying to teach the child how to walk. So I believe that what we need to start sharing with the youth is that there's a concept called an obstacle course. We used to have one in the uh, in Hill Academy in the... Um, we used to go out and play in the yard. It was a great obstacle course. Somebody would say, a thinking person would say, Meshuga, what do you have to go walk through this whole course? Why don't you just walk on level ground? Well, there's no fun. There's no challenge in doing that. The challenge is in being able to make it across the, the obstacle course. We should, um, we need to convey to the youth, and perhaps we should start with ourselves. But rather than feeling put upon and persecuted, that we have a loving parent who is trying to get us um, to a place uh, the Magad uh, Meshorim brings that the entire purpose of the Nisiyanis that we have in life is that it's not going to be Muhammad that Hashem doesn't want us to have bread to, to bask in his light undeserved so it, it, it all goes back to the same Yisoy that there's an obstacle course that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is handing us in life and by definition an obstacle course is going to be challenging but that's where the action is it's, it's the baby taking the steps Obviously, at the end of it all, there's a parent waiting with open arms to give us a hug. And both of those things are critical. Understanding that the course is there for our benefit and understanding that at the end of it is a, a loving parent waiting to embrace us. Beautiful, Robert Tursky. We'll try to cover around a few more if that's okay. <clears throat> let's, let's hit on this question a little bit. Covered a little bit, but I want to get a little deeper into it. With all that's going on in my life, I don't like to think about it at all. I just do what I'm meant to do and what everybody else does. I go to shul, I dip the apple in the honey. I do feel a little guilty. What should I do? I basically have no like emotional connection. I'm more, you know, robotic. I don't want to feel. It's about time. Okay, so I I I actually use this this past uh, what are we with it this past Shabbos. There's a mimer from the Balatanya in the Maimarim Akitzarim. I encourage everybody to look it up and see it themselves because it's it's actually two very similar ones. This one's in Pasha's Kiseitze. He writes that it, it, it's very clear that it's in response to somebody, but let me give you the context that he says it. He says the kisiena leishtei nashim ha'achas ahuva v'achas nua. Person has two wives. One of them is loved and one of them is hated. And 
and the oldest son is born to the hated wife. He's not allowed to choose the the child, the oldest child of the beloved wife over the hated wife. Says the Baltanya that there are two types of Yidin in the world. There are Yidin who have a loving relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and there are Yidin who have a difficult relationship. And he says, I'll prove to you that the Geula is not going to come because of the people who are on fire and have this great loving relationship with Hashem. Because at the time of the Churban, there were plenty of Jews like that. Tanoim and Amiroim, Tanoim at that time. And yet the Churban happened. He says the Mashiach is going to come because of those of us who don't have any feeling, who don't have any desire to serve. That's where Mashiach is going to come. Shailah is, what, so what, what's going on? How do we do this? So he writes explicitly. He says that Hashem desires to have a dira b'tachtaynin. Hashem desires to have a dwelling place among the low. Listen to this low. When you're Kodesh Baruch it's multicolored. It's kavayde. What kind of high and low? Says the Baltanya that the low refers to the people who have no desire to serve. Those of us who are numb, we're struggling, we're battling it out day after day with our tivus, with technology, as we just mentioned, with all the other distractions. We're in the trenches, we're fighting, and we're burnt out. And despite that, we continue to do what we need to do. And this is really the critical point. We need to rejoice that we can serve, not despite the fact that we're feeling that way, but because of the way, because we feel that way. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. Says the Baltanya, that we need to be able to rejoice that we are providing HaKadosh Baruch Hu with that dira in the lowest of places, meaning I don't want to do this. Getting up every morning is a struggle for me. Putting on my tefillin is a struggle for me. Kashrus could be a struggle for me. What you, you fill in the blanks. We're not feeling the highs. We're not feeling the passion. We're not feeling the love. And despite that, we're still doing it. We need to rejoice with the fact that we can provide a Kaddish Baruch Hu with a dwelling place, despite the fact that we feel that way. And that's where the celebration is. And he writes explicitly, and because of us, those who are struggling, that's where Mashiach is going to come. Not because of the people who are on fire and, and have this great loving relationship. It's because of those of us who struggle and are not in the mood of, of serving. We're the, we're, we're the ones who are providing that opportunity. So the, but the message has to go back to what I said earlier, which is that that I could get up in the morning, I'm not in the mood, and I'm celebrating the fact I'm I'm engulfed in simcha because of the fact that this, that because I'm not in the mood and I still do it that I'm bringing Hakadosh Baruch Hu even into those low places where um, His presence is not yet felt. To me, that was such an empowering idea, because I don't have to feel it, and despite that, I can celebrate and be besimcha over the fact that I'm serving despite the fact that I'm 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 not in the mood and I don't feel anything. 
if wow. if if you're rejoicing, then you're not in the low. So I, I don't think it's a stira. I don't I don't I really don't think it's a meaning intellectually, hmm. what you're saying is true, right? Because it doesn't have to see this is the critical thing. We're all out there caught up with this spiritual nonsense. And those of us who are not feeling the spirituality of it and are feeling tired and worn out feel deficient. And what the Baltani is telling us is no, quite the contrary. Because we're not feeling, that's why we should feel the simcha of this is a, this is where the action is. I've, I think I shared with you the story that in the, um, the Bavro's first trip to Yisrael, so he was a survivor. He was a relatively young man. He was in his, in his 50s at the time. He was starting all over again. Went there to saw the Briskarov was still alive. The Briskarov was a was a misnagged from you know from back from Europe, and in comes this young Chassid and people were expecting it to be you know not this warm and fuzzy meeting. And the Bavrov shared with him that Briskarov mentioned something about Ikvesid the Mashiach that our generation is called the heel of Mashiach. It's the lowest, you know, the lowest period. So the Bavrov said to him. That through Mendel of Riminov said true. Our generation is called Ikvas of the Mashiach. It's the lowest. We're the heel. The heel has no feeling. But we dare not forget that the entire structure of the human being, the heart, the mind, all the critical avarim, all stand on the heel. If the heel falls, the entire structure falls. So where it's an insult that we're the generation called Ikvas of the Mashiach, it's also the greatest compliment. It's upon us that all those generations, starting with the Ovis Akdashim, all through Jewish history, all of them are standing on us. And because we have no feeling, because we're the ones who struggle, and, and despite that, we get up every morning and do what we need to do, we should understand that all of those generations before us celebrate every one of those victories. Wow, oh, powerful, Robert Twisty. Okay, we have a few more live ones. Let's try to hop the brine. You're on. Hi. Let's see if the mic works. Can can you talk? Hi, sorry, we're putting oh, you it's on. me. Oh, it's me. Oh, okay. Switch it to you. The other person's mic wasn't working. And this ties in with being actually feeling deficient, but um, usually I go into you know, to you know feeling combination motivated, pensive. But you know, their idea of you know of wanting to take on certain things, but there's like the feeling how realistic am I in terms of my abilities, capabilities, um, or, you know, um, I, I don't know, you know, I think that all of us would love to do, you know, take on, take on more mitzvahs, give more tzedakah, but I'm not so sure how feasible it is uh, other, with other things going on. I mean, is that, um, is that, is that just, you know, just a head trip I'm playing with myself or is there, is there a way to like, maybe sit down realistically plan goals, something that, uh, you know, I mean, not that I want to be business-like on Rosh Hashanah, but, you know, is there a way to at least overcome that feeling of sort of inadequacy that I'm not doing enough or I can't do enough or what I think is enough to really, you know, make myself um, do better, I guess, to follow the coming year. 
Okay, so I, I think that Rabbi Nachum in his opening statement mm -hmm. really spoke to that a little bit. And when he spoke about taking small, small steps, I think there's one other Nikuda that would be very, very helpful. None of us ever succeed at taking an additional step unless we have the ability to celebrate the steps that we've taken already. You could only build a skyscraper on a solid foundation. When we're able to look back and take notice of a success and then take that success and broaden it, we stand the chance of, of succeeding. If we can't allow ourselves to recognize some area where we've already um, marked a, a noted success, it's just not going to work. Because if we see ourselves as failures, one thing we'll guarantee is that we'll continue to fail. So I think that the, the best way to approach it is look at something that has already been a success and then take another small step in that direction. I think there's a there's a, a question that came in and a lot a lot of people have it. So the question is what should I think? What are the thoughts that I should have about Kirshoifer? The Gemara already asked the Kasha. Gemara says, why do we blow Shoifer? To which the Gemara answers, because Hashem told us to blow. So I think first and foremost, the Kavana needs to be that we're being Mikhaim, the mitzvah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That really has to be in the forefront of our mind as we... Um, as we listen to the shayfar. The next step is also brought by, uh, by Chazal. The Gemara, when the Gemara talks about Malchis, Zechreinus, and Shaifers, so the Gemara says, what's the key that each one of the sections that we do in, in the Shman Esrei is really sealed through the, the Tkiya, the shayfar. Um, So if you look at the sections, if you look at the Psukim, and the Tfilas that are associated with those psukim, the shoifer is kind of the catalyst. It's really that which takes that tefillah and raises it to where it needs to get to the point where it, it's such a fact. I've always struck by this one in Shemun Esrei. We're the ones who are commanded to hear the shoifer, yet we turn it on a Kodesh Baruch Hu. In the Baruch of Shoifers, we say Ki'ata, that you're the one who is Mazen Kol Shav. You're the one who listens to the shoifer. So there's an impression that needs to be made upon us, but to the degree that we're listening to the Shaif, we turn it back on Hashem, and we, we're misfollowed to Kaaba Shaif, go to the Every year when we go to the uh, Tekiah Gedailah, there's a, uh, there's a, a Tefillah in there that the Rebbe should already blow that, that Tekiah. You know, there's a great story that I heard from my father's Zazan about so as you all know, we blow Shoifer throughout the month of Elul. And 
one of his children came to him, Erev Rosh Hashanah, Erev Rosh Hashanah, you don't blow, and asked him to please blow Shaifer. And he said to him, my kid, we don't blow Shaifer, Erev Rosh Hashanah. And the kid was insistent and pleaded and begged for his father to blow it. Tata blues, tata blues. And the, finally, the Menchus couldn't constrain him. He couldn't hold back anymore. And he blew Shaifer for the kid. And then he turned his eyes heavenward. And says, my child has just asked me here for a few minutes to blow and I couldn't restrain. We've been asking you, Rabbi Nishlam, to blow the shoifer. Tata blues. We've been asking for so many years. You to blow the Please blow the shoifer already. So there's clearly an, an emphasis on, on uh, the Takab shoifer godel when we're listening to the shoifer to turn into Rabbi Nishlam and ask him to blow. So the last live question, I have one more for you, Robert Twersky, and then we'll go to closing. You're on. Okay, I wanted to know, in regard to children, what can we expect of them um, in shul? Um, Feel-wise, I'm talking like little ones, like uh, eight, nine, ten-year-olds. And how do we get them to feel that connection that they want to dive in? It's not an oh. Oy, oy, oy. You know, I think that every, first of all, there's not going to be ever a one-size-fits-all. Um, we had a, a very chosh of a Talmud Chochem who was a, um, a malamed in our school. His name was Rabbi Yankov Anton. And um, um, of course, I don't remember this. I thought that I was an angel in shul, but uh, evidently that was not the case when I was a kid. And despite the fact that I was the rabbi's son, I did my fair portion of horsing around. And I have a very vivid recollection of him physically lifting me up and putting me outside of the building on the sidewalk and telling me, when you learn how to behave in shul, then you can come back in. And I was not entertained, especially after the, I was the rabbi's son and he had no business doing that, but uh, my father was busy with other things, so he took care of it. So the reason I'm telling you this is that my father was an in, is, is an intense daviner, was an intense daviner, and it, it took um, years for me to get to a point where that was something that I could relate to. So I think that there's a different maturity level for every child. And there's a real delicate balance between pushing a kid and making it oppressive for a kid. And we need to be really careful. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't state our expectations. I think that it's important to say to a child, I would like you to be in shul. You can be in shul as long as you're behaving and you're doing what you need to do. The minute it turns into a, uh, a, a place where um, the kids are getting into trouble or, or they're acting like um, at that point, a child needs to have the understanding that they don't belong there. So everybody needs to know the tolerance level of any given child. And to the degree that that kid can be there, um, we, we have one Balabas in particular in, in Shul who brings his, his kid for a limited time, then expands it, you know, five minutes by five minutes, and the kid sits like an angel, 
when it gets too much. I mean, the, the, he, the child brings, interestingly, the parents provide him with books to read, uh, obviously appropriate things that he can stay in shul longer. But at some point, the, 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 it depends on the zitzflesh of a kid. You got to know, you know, if we don't have zitzflesh, what do we want from our kids? So modeling is going to be critical. And beyond that, you got to know the nature of a child. And we need to push to their to a level where we know, you know, we're creating the, the obstacle course for them and push them a little bit into new territory, but not to the point where it becomes something that they're going to resent for the rest of their lives and uh, have a, a negative association with attending the attending show. Rabbi the last question of the night, and then we're going to go to the closing. Um, this year, we had so many not normal tragedies from COVID. Story in Stalin, Surfside, the Shir, the boy who was happened in Denver. What is the message we need to take out of this as we approach Rosh Hashanah tomorrow night? How are we to see Hashem as our loving Father? The, uh, I, I may have shared this with you last time also, but I love I, I loved it when I heard it. I've shared it many times since. Dr. Jerry Loeb from Chicago. Hashem should grant him a refuah shalema. Um, once spoke here in uh, in our shul in Milwaukee. And somebody's, and he shared with us that somebody challenged, he's a, a child of survivors, of Holocaust survivors. And his father was once asked, how can you continue to be from after seeing what you saw and experiencing what you experienced? So his father said to him, you know, um, there is a, um, a practice that used to be more common among Kal Yisrael and humanity that we took our kids in for vaccines. Now it's a very hot, hot, sub, a hot topic. But when we were kids, now they make them really neat, nifty little uh, things that they put in your arm. But when we were kids, if you remember, there was a bottle of the vaccine and there was a long needle and the doctor would go over and he would pull whatever amount he needed of this thing. Then he'd plunge it into various body parts. And depending on, on which vaccine it was. So he says, put yourself into the mind of a toddler. Mother's holding the kid. And the doctor walks over with this needle so the toddler is for sure thinking to himself, um, you stupid doctor, you know that my mother's going to knock your lights out before you ever get near me with that needle. I mean, my mother's my protector. There's no way she's going to allow you to put that needle anywhere near me. And we all know that the exact opposite is true. Not only does the mother allow the doctor to do it, but the mother constrains the child, holds the kid's arms and legs to the point where the doctor can comfortably stick this thing into the kid and, and get out whatever the contents are in the syringe. And we see very often that the child will react and hit the mother afterwards because the, ch the child feels a terrible betrayal that the protector has turned on, on the child. So Jerry's father said to him, I don't understand. Why doesn't the mother just explain to the kid that there's a disease in Africa and that if that disease were to, he, he would ever be exposed to that disease, that it could be very harmful and could create paralysis or even death. Why doesn't the mother just explain it to the kid? And the answer is obvious, because the kid doesn't have the intellectual capacity to comprehend 
this 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 concept, right? It's, it's beyond it. Now he says, let's look at this. The mother, as bright as the mother might be, is a limited person, a Balgvul. And the kid is clearly a Balgvul, the, the very limited comprehension. And yet, despite that, two Balgvul can't explain it to each other because the distance between the mother's comprehension and the child's comprehension is too wide and they can't meet. Yet, we being the Chachamim that we are, we have an expectation that somehow we're going to be able to comprehend Dark Yashem. So we're, we're, it, it's just, it, it's, it's a mockery. The infinite HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who has infinite wisdom, does things, and we have the arrogance to somehow be able to even utter the words, I don't understand what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing. Well, obviously, you don't understand what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing because he's infinite, we're finite. We could have the highest IQ in the world, and we're not going to be able to grasp the actions of the, the infinite Chachmah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Sometimes Hashem does things just for the purpose of conveying that message to us. I'm in control. I'm running the world. I'm trying to get your attention. And I'm going to do things that you can't understand. And we have to have the humility to be able to say, uh, like Chazal tells us, if a person sees Yisurim Bayim Alav, that this person is Yifash Vish we're supposed to inspect our deeds and, and, and do tshuva. And if we don't do that, the Rambam says that we're achzorim. He says that we're cruel people. If we don't take every one of these events and use them to analyze our actions and, and to do tshuva, then we're considered, it's, it's an act of cruelty. But to try comprehending them or to the chachamim out there who tell us why these things have happened, Rahman al-Litzlan, there's nothing more ridiculous than that. You have to be a Navi to be able to say that these things happen because that doesn't release us from our obligation of trying to analyze our lives and realize that Hashem is trying to get our attention. Those are two very different statements, two very different approaches. Jerski, mind-blowing, beautiful. Okay, let's go to closing. Uh, first, I guess, I guess, to Rabbi Tversky for coming on tonight, Erev Rosh Hashanah, and giving so much chizik and mimichazik. So many people were here tonight. It was a huge crowd. Erev, uh, I'm shocked Erev Rosh Hashanah, so many people who came on. Obviously, everybody needs chizik. Everybody wants to go into Rosh Hashanah with the Rechtika, Kagosha, and Machshava, and Shkayach to Rabbi Tversky for coming. Again, everybody's here the first time every Sunday night. This MID, we have unbelievable shiurim. Please join, tell people about it. And uh, next Sunday, September 12th, Erev Yom Kippur, Sunday before Yom Kippur, gonna have an amazing share. It's so amazing, I can't even tell you about it because I don't know what it is. But we're gonna we're gonna lock it up, and it's gonna be amazing. And again, tonight's share, we'll do we're learning at Nishmas. The family was on before they, they sent us thank you for, for doing the share for Shmuel Ben Mordechai Nochem Silverberg, the Bukhar who was Nifter, was killed in Denver. This of all the tremendous amount of people that were here tonight, and not sure the thousands of people. That will hear this year and be mechazik. It should be an ashama for him, especially during the, the first shleishim days of his of his material. And it should be a great discuss. And for everybody uh, that didn't watch the whole thing, it's, gonna, it's all recorded. It's going to be mechshem up tomorrow morning early. Menachem Farslichus on menachembarefel.com. And if anybody has any questions, please reach out to coachmenachemajima.com. We'll forward all the emails to Rabbi Tversky. Um, tonight's share is share number seventy-two. And uh, if anybody wants to hear it on the phone, we'll be up mechshem on the phone line tomorrow morning at eight four eight seven 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 grow. 
I want to give a special thank you to our advertising sponsors, Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi Yenif Chazak, and a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman Shul Salman for JCN. Rabbi Nachum, Coach Menachem, closing words, then Rabbi Tversky, we'll, we'll move it on to you. I just want to mention the idea that you said about the child, that there's no, um, you have to know each child is different to see how it works. The truth is, I believe we all have inside of us that inner child. Every one of us is in a different level, in a different place. And it, it takes, you have to be able to, to sit down with yourself and see where am I? What works? You know, what doesn't work? What can I do? And sometimes you find yourself in a, a level that you might say you might not be happy about because you want to be the tzaddik already, like I mentioned. You want to be already um, uh, many steps ahead. But if you're not there, it's not going to work. So yes, if you're where you are, you need a little bit of self-acceptance and this is what you need to work on. This is what the Kabbalists are or whatever it is. And from there, that's what Hashem wants from you. And that's ultimately what we, what we want. Like we heard in the beginning, to understand we're here to connect to Hashem and do His, his will. So everybody should, uh, and wherever they are, they should have the, the das, where, what they need to do, and they should, at least, they should feel that they're growing, because that's the only way, like we heard, the only way to grow is to feel that you're growing, because if not, it's hard to continue. So thank you very much for everyone being here, and uh, we should have Agishmaka Zisa New Year, Mitzvah Shem. three things. Rabbi Tversky, three things, okay? Number one, what do you think of such a Chashua Island? There's like 1,300, 1,400 people here tonight. The night before Shoshana to come listen. What do you think of that? A. B. We want a Dibbe Bracha from, 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 from the rabbi, for everybody here. And number three, obviously a closing of Chizik before Shoshana. Probably like 20 hours left. Okay, so first one is, it is absolutely incredible that people took the time out tonight to come and look for something. Um, Baruch Hashem, Hashem is mazmin to me oftentimes that I, I come upon great things that I can share. It's a siyat uh, Um that I'm, I'm blessed with. So I'm excited to be able to share those ideas with, with the tzibur. Um, the, uh, you see in Shulchan Aruch that there's no hesitation for anybody to give a bracha during the season, every every bracha is is critical. Is halacha that you're supposed to be mavarech. So uh, everybody should be blessed with a ksiva v'chsima toiva. And a uh, as Klai Yisrael says, a git geben shtiurin. That uh, I think that one of the most important things throughout the season is to, for us to be cognizant of the brachas that Hashem gives us. Perhaps the greatest bracha of all is that our eyes should be open to the brachas that we get. So often we're blind and you know we're so focused on what we lack and uh, we don't pay enough time, enough attention and give enough time to count our blessings. So not only should it be a year of bracha natzlocha, but it should be a year that we should be, our eyes should be open to be able to receive the bracha and to be aware on an ongoing basis of the brachas that Hashem gives us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Tversky. Everybody have a chesimus AB, we love you. And we'll see you next week, Sunday. Same time, same place. Zaygazot.
Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance. Thank you.